Hey, Piers, it's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Piers Project has just produced the first Australian women's fashion retailer podcast for Forever New. This podcast, Unforgettable Moments, is about the defining moments in a woman's life and how they shape us into who we are today. Some of the amazing guests featured on this four-part series include social innovator and a winner of the AFR's 100 Women of Influence, Madeline Butchner, award-winning ballerina Isabel Dashwood and professional high jumper Amy Pekovic. Make sure to tune in now to Unforgettable Moments, the forever new podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now, let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. All of us are a little guilty of falling into the comparison trap, myself included. But in order to move forward, we need to focus solely on the path ahead of us. Someone who knows exactly what it's like to overcome comparison and focus on your own unique journey is today's guest, Laura Calagrande. Laura is the co-founder of Chippin a thriving pet food company, and a Forbes 30 Under 30 listee. I'm so excited to talk to Laura today about how she navigated the challenges of starting her business and how she got out of the dreaded comparison trap. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the awesome Laura Calagrande. Laura. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Hi, Michelle. So nice to be here. Awesome. Cool. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and the awesome work that you're doing with Chippin and your company, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Me and my dog are both here. So <laughs> Very- I love that. Tina is very excited to be on the podcast as well. She, she, she's very shy. She's very shy, but... <laughs> Love it. Awesome. So, look, 
before we dive deeper into you and your work, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I moved to the U.S. when I was 19. Um, I originally, I was born and raised in Milan, and I, I literally moved to America with a luggage. Like, I didn't even have winter clothes when I moved. And very naive, um, didn't really have an idea of, like, what was going to be like going to college here. So it turns out it's very expensive. <laughs> Pay my way through college. Um, worked like an amount of crazy jobs when I was in college, actually. I worked as a rock climbing instructor. I worked for a design firm. I was teaching. I basically like, was working 40 hours per week and at the same time going to college and applying for scholarships. So it was really intense. Um, and I bring this up because I do think it matters when you then think of yourself as a founder, like just the ability of being resourceful and prioritizing. It's in hindsight, something that I for sure learned during that time. And yeah, so then I moved to LA after uh, after I finished college. I actually already started working for a firm in LA before uh, finishing college, and so I moved to LA and I worked in like design and brand, and and then I got a scholarship at the University of Pennsylvania, and so I moved back to the East Coast, um, and then that's where I met my co-founder, and then shipping started. Huge. So amazing. Look, it's so cool to kind of read about it and learn about what your journey was and then hear it back now. I guess before we dive a bit deeper into Chipen and how you built that, I want to go a bit back into your story. So I'd like to start with a question that I often find to be very insightful and revealing. And that was, you know, where did you grow up? And obviously now it's Milan in Italy. And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, so I think two things. Number one, um, I mean, Italy in general has an amazing culture for food, um, and we are first and foremost a food company. Um, so definitely there is a cultural root there. Um, I think the other aspect is, I mean, Milan, people think of Milan as fashion. I never really saw Milan as fashion capital, but I definitely, you know, grew up living and breeding design. And so that definitely from architecture to advertising. Um, so there is definitely a, a cultural component that also um, very, very strong there. The other aspect, which is not necessarily Milan, but I guess just like being an immigrant in general, is that you get to a new place and you kind of have to adapt so fast. Uh, you, when I moved to the U.S., I didn't speak English. So you really just kind of, yeah, barely. I like knew enough, but that was literally not speaking English. And so I think a lot of it is how quickly you have to learn things and how quickly you have to adapt. Uh, but also just this kind of idea that you constantly have to translate what you want to say. Right. And I think that a lot of what you do when you're like building a brand is that you have to take your product and then translate it to different audiences translated to different, you know, whether it's your customers and whether they're like direct to consumer customers or wholesalers uh, or your investors. And so I think like just kind of that ability of like really quickly through um, being able to think on your feet and like really moving quickly is something that I think as um, an immigrant, you just kind of have to do. It's, you know, it's sink or swim, right? So that. Huge. Oh my goodness. I love that. I think, there's just so many points that you touched on there, which are just so true. And I 
I want to dive a bit deeper into them, but I guess something I'm, I'm most interested to understand is a little bit more about when you were still growing up in Milan. You know, what did you love to do as a child? You know, you mentioned that design was a huge part of just kind of everyday life when you were there. Talk to us a little bit about Laura, the early years. I think I was, I mean, I was a very exuberant child. Uh, and me and my brother always got in trouble, which again, I think it's very relevant because when you, have, when you start a company, you're breaking so many rules. No, but yeah, I was a, I was a very exuberant child. I play gymnastic and I was obsessed with gymnastic and I train every single day for like three, four hours. It was crazy. Like so much so that if I got in trouble at school or something, if I was misbehaving, my mom would be, you cannot go to gymnastics. And that's how much I loved it. So it was, it was really something that I loved. And I, and I mean, I, I think I still have that kind of approach today where like when I really care about something, I go in the zone and that's it. Like that's all I'm doing. Like that's all I'm thinking about and I don't care about anything else. Um, and so that was like, I'd say like very from, I don't know, five years old until like I was 14. And then, you know, when you grow up in Italy, it's very different than grew up in the U.S. You have a ton of freedom as soon as you become a teenager. And so me as a teenager, I'd say it's more like me on a motorbike, like going around Milan with like a little Vespa and like going to all of the exhibitions and different concerts and events. So I kind of transitioned from being like this like crazy child that was only doing gymnastics to being extra social and <laughs> going to every single possible like party and design event, which I and that. And I actually, I worked for a company that worked for MTV when I was 17. So it's like really, yeah. And so I, I did like a bunch of crazy things. And then I, I moved to London when I was 17 by myself. And because uh, I did a job. And so like I, I was able to like just like got a place in London. And, and I lived in, in London for a little while by myself at 17. So I think that those experiences kind of made it that when I then like started college, I almost already lived enough that I felt that I was able to just like focus and like have a crazy job and also get scholarships and things like that. So it was almost like going from having focus on a sport to super intense, uh, fun social life, riding mopeds and, you know, little Vespas and traveling and then back to, I guess like to really my personality, which is just like very intense and just very kind of, you know, very focused. But I mean, I think that, you know, I always had a passion to start things. I, um, there was a time I remember that I don't know what happened. I think I was sick or I don't know what happened, but like, I, I couldn't do anything. And so I obviously probably getting really impatient. And so my uh, aunt taught me how to crochet. And so then I crochet like 25 bags and I sold it to like a bunch of people so like I think that there were always like something about just like starting ideas or um you know um and Haley my co-founder has so many of those little stories throughout I think for me more defining ones are the kind of heavy focus heads down moments even as a child yeah. Huge. Oh, I love asking that question because of that, because I feel like so much, so much of the time it's when we were younger, those traits that kind of, we just grew up with, they always shine through today and they kind of relate. Yeah. A lot to kind of what we're doing. Yeah. Now. And I think that, no, sorry, but I think that, you know, like even moments in my life, which in, in which I, you know, you're like, Oh, what do you learn from going to a bunch of like fun parties and events? Like, 
when you're like 15 to 18, like what did you learn, right? I actually learned a ton because you really learn how to talk to people. You learn too quickly with the room. You learn so many things. And and so I, I think that, you know, there's a strong component of discipline, but it's also there is like this like really big idea of just really enjoying what you're doing and being present and being able to communicate and express your vision. And I think that um, that's something that for sure I learned like growing up and having those tiny experiences that over time add up and, and maybe, you know, why I'm today. Mm, huge. I love it. So look, talk to us a little bit deeper about that time when you moved to, so when you moved to the US. So, you know, you said you didn't even hardly spoke any English. You'd spent a bit of time in London when you were 17 before that. And now it was time for uni or college. You know, what was that experience like for you? And I guess what was one of the key things you learned about yourself during that time? Yeah, just one thing. Like, I moved to London when I was 17. London is a city that has so many immigrants, and especially sp- Spanish and Italian people, that I did not speak English once when I was in London. So that was not a good use of time from a language perspective. But, I mean, I, I you know, it was great. Like, nonetheless, it was great. Um, but, yeah, so um, so your question was, like, what did I learn from that time? Like, what was that like? Yeah, even when you headed to the US and you were like, wow, what, what is this? And, like, you had to figure everything out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there was a sense of just big opportunities that I felt. Um, and then I think that that was the big driver. Again, as I said, I was I was very naive. And I, and I think that, you know, the way you – perceive opportunities at 19 is very different than the way you do at 25 or 30 or I'm sure after that. Um, And so for me, it it was just something that I felt was there was just something bigger that I could do if I moved to America. And so that was, I think, the big driver. And and I remember looking at all of these websites, all of these schools and applying. And I actually got into like some really good schools and um, and then realizing how expensive it was going to be. And so I was like, oh, there's no way I can do that. And so I ended up going to like a, 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 a school in Virginia, which was kind of a shock between, you know, like from London and Milan yeah. to like going to school in Virginia. But I mean, it's actually like the, it's like the number one public school for art and design. And so it was it was a great environment. I met so many smart people and I really loved it. I mean, I remember I was up every night crazy hours. And I remember that um, asking one of my professors to write a recommendation letter for a scholarship. And he sent it to me after he sent it in just to see like, hey, this is what I sent. And the one thing that I remember from that letter is that he would be sometimes on his bike and he would pass by our design building at night. And he would say, and he said, like, there was always a light on. And I knew that that light on was probably Laura working, like, really late. And so that was exactly right. And that was, like, me and, like, another classmate that is still one of my best friends, actually. And we were in the studio. Like, I don't even know many all-nighters. I Paul was insane. Uh, But that, I think, was a function of two things, right? One of it was the fact that I was working so many jobs on top of going to schools. And so that was really intense. And and then I think also, I mean, even then, I think that when I moved to America is when I really started to feel this like, deeper sense of responsibility for the kind of ambition and the things that I wanted to achieve. And I 
quite honestly, I'm not really sure I actually knew what it was at that time. Uh, but I feel like there was this sense of, oh, I want to do more. This is not good enough. I need to move faster. I really had this desire of moving faster. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, college is very much a blur in my head right now. Because I think it's because I, I pulled so many all-nighters that... Um, it's not really a time that I have like so many memories other than remembering that I was working all the time. Um, but I do think it was like one of those moments where I proved myself that I could do it, you know? And so I think that it was one of those things where like, I'm sure I had low points, but, um, I think I had a great support of, uh, friends that believed in me. I think I had professors that believed in me. My mom believed in me and, um, and so I think that that enabled me to, to pull through. And, and, and even if there were times where like, I thought it was so difficult and I was so exhausted and I, I really remember actually being so exhausted. I, I, I just really pulled through. And I think that it was, you know, it sounds, it doesn't sound like an exciting things, but actually there was a lot of optimism around it, I'd say, because there was really this, this sense of like, hey, this is a difficult time, but I'm going to work through it. And I did. And then ultimately, I, I graduated really well, and I moved to LA, and I had a job. And, um, and you know, every little experience matter, right? And so, yeah. I love it. It's so cool to hear. And I just think it makes us all reflect back on, you know, our time at college, university, and kind of what that meant to us. I think a question I've got for you is, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe they're in the hustle and they're in the grind and they're trying to just make it work, whether it's at, at a job, whether it's at university or college, whether it's with, you know, starting a company, what advice would you give to them about, I guess, just getting through it and seeing the positives? Yeah, I think that the first thing I would say is don't ever compare yourself to anyone else. Because I remember there were days, and I still feel this way today. There were days in which, you know, things seemed so hard. And I mean, school seemed hard because it was a difficult program and balancing that with like, I would literally stack all my classes on a Tuesday and Thursday so that I could work the other day. So balancing that with having a job was really, really hard. Right. But I remember there were days in which I would, you know, look at some of my classmates that could go to school and also go to a party and do all these things and, and feeling that, I don't know, feeling like resentful or like feeling that they were fortunate and then realizing that ultimately that was not helping anyone. And so don't compare yourself to anyone else because no one is going through what you're going through and nobody knows. And all, and ultimately it doesn't matter. And ultimately the only pe- person that's really going to care, it's you and the people that love you. And so just focus on that. And if there's something really hard that you're going through, I think I even today I try to distinguish between is it self-inflicted? So am I pushing myself too hard? So I feel that everything is hard because in my head, my standards are so high. And so kind of be honest with yourself and uh, try to evaluate whether you are causing yourself this internal <laughs> like overworking, right? Which is a, especially in the U.S., I don't know where you guys are, but like especially in the U.S., it's very much of a dynamic of you don't think you're enough, right, all the time. And so one of it is realizing that you are enough. Don't compare yourself to other people. And 
if the problems are not self-inflicted, so maybe you're going through something difficult because maybe your family is in a tough situation or because maybe your friend is in a tough situation or maybe because you're sick or whatever that is, then at that point, there's nothing you can do, right? So either accept the situation if there's nothing you can do and realize that it will pass or just be honest with yourself and say, hey, maybe I'm pushing myself too hard. Maybe I need to check in with myself here and readjust and reset. So I think that those are the two kind of way to look at it. Again, every single person, whatever happens, is kind of a singular story. And I'd say just don't give up. I think that that is so important. And it sounds so cheesy, but like that is so important. The one piece of advice that one of my friends one time gave me was that there's no effort that ultimately will not be rewarded in some form or way. Right. And even when you don't think so, people are actually watching and taking note of what you're doing. And so if you're working really hard, someone will realize that and someone will give you an opportunity and someone will uh, believe in you and trust you in ways that you maybe didn't expect, you know? Oh, I love it. It's so powerful. And I just think, you know, so many of us need to be reminded of these things. They're just so crucial. And as much as they do sound, may sound cheesy or whatever, it's just so true. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Cool. So I want to dive a bit deeper into the move to LA and that time there. So, you know, you were grinding for so long. You finally got yourself an awesome job. You know, what was that job and what was that move to LA like? Yeah. So I actually went to LA my first summer in college because I applied for a scholarship and the scholarship basically was just giving you like money that you could just use so that you could do work some so that you could pay your living in a city that you wanted to. And so I applied for a scholarship to work in LA and I actually worked for an architecture firm in LA. And I I remember was I went there without no like without having I was my first time in LA. So I just I applied for a scholarship and I applied for a job and I got it. And so I just flew, took a plane and flew out there. And I remember just getting there and I fell in love with the palm trees. <laughs> I love the palm trees so much. I remember I couldn't even, I was not 20. You know, like in the U.S., you cannot rent a car if you're not over 25. 25. Oh, didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, you have to be 25 to rent a car. And I was not 25. I wasn't even 21. I was 20. And um, I turned 21 that summer, but I was not 21 at the time. And so I remember, I don't know how, but I found someone that rented me a car and I rented his like really shitty car and I remember driving around this car and being so happy to like what like seeing all of these palm trees and and I know this sounds crazy but I, I thought that that was amazing and then I actually had a, three bosses that summer that were such remarkable individuals and they were so inspiring and they were so talented and I think that and then after college I didn't work there but I'm still very much in touch with them and they've been mentors throughout throughout my career and I think that you know so it was a combination of just really just getting a good vibe from that place I got a good vibe and I think I, I associated Virginia with a time where things were really hard because I was working so much and went to school and Going to LA was more like, oh, I just have to work. That's it. <laughs> so <laughs> easy. Easy, easy. I just have to work. And I, and you can drive. And I, you know, I remember just like taking these long drives and like I just remember just like kind of being able to just kind of being able to like, you know, I, I just remember getting a really, really good vibe 
Um, and so it wasn't a super, I mean, as I said, I'd not been to LA before, right? So it was more something that I just had a good sense for it. I liked the firm that I was going to work for and I took that opportunity and went there. And then, um, I mean, obviously I went back to college and so, you know, finished college, but that was kind of what initiated me to, uh, to move out there. And then I moved there again after, um, when I finished college and I worked for another uh, firm that was doing like design and it was more on the experiential side of things. So we worked with a lot of consumer products and yeah, so I, I can go forever. You can stop. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, no, very cool. And I think it's just, it's just so great that you, I guess, have this like intuition or you, what would you call it? Like the courage and the intuition to actually just dive into something like, let's just move to LA, never even been there and don't know much about it. And I'm 20, you know, how can we better develop the courage to kind of go after what we want? Yeah. I mean, so I think that it's a combination of two things, right? Number one is almost you have to decide what you care about and what you don't care about. So I and, and you have to understand what is known and what is unknown. So I am very big on just setting a threshold and saying, okay, this is the amount of data that I have, and this is what is known. And I knew that I really liked that firm. So I knew that like that was an opportunity that I wanted to take. Were they in LA? Were they in New York? Were they in like San Francisco? Like it almost didn't matter. And so I was comfortable with taking that risk because there was there was something that made me feel safe and very excited, which was that opportunity. And then the unknown, and then I was just willing to take the risk for what I didn't know, right? And I think that that's still how I think about it today. Um, it's, you're never going to know 100%. You're just never going to know. And honestly, you may be able to know 100%, but then at that point, you're waiting so long. Like, how long is it going to take you to have all of the information, right? Like, there's no way. So I think that it's, it's about saying like, hey, I know enough and this makes me feel comfortable and, and then you accept the risk. Like I don't believe in just like naively going somewhere with like no plan. Um, I think that if you have enough plan, you don't need to have everything planned. Mm. Very true. And so, so courage comes from that. Courage comes from that, you know. Mm. Mm. Love it. Great. So let's dive a bit deeper into when you headed to the University of Pennsylvania to do your master's. And I think you met your co-founder there. I might be wrong, but talk to us about how you met Haley and how this idea for Chippen really came about. Yeah. So I study architecture and I did a dual program with the Wharton School where I was taking a bunch of business classes and engineering classes. And Haley was getting her MBA. And we met at a um, entrepreneurship mixer. So it was just like his pan event. And I remember that we met. And the first thing that we talked about was she also lived in Los Angeles before moving to Penn. And she worked in the same building as my twin sister, which is crazy. We were there at the same time and she worked in the same building as my twin sister. But we didn't know each other. But the first thing that we talked about was how much it was a really like rainy day outside in Philadelphia's cold, you know. And I remember Haley and I talked about how much we missed 
digestibility of having fresh, a fresh juice or a fresh smoothie and like, you know, just kind of like sunny, like fresh food. And then the second thing that we talked about was actually like, I don't know if that was, yeah, that like, was actually like climate change. And so I remember that the first text that we exchanged was like, oh, hey, did you watch this documentary on climate change? Or did you watch this documentary on, um, I don't know, it was like a bunch of links or articles that were like related to climate change. And it's so funny because what we do today is a pet food company. So it's like food that is focused on sustainability, right? Like how, like how, who knew, who knew? But when we met, when we met, um, it was, I was actually working on a different project with the School of Engineering and we became friends because uh, the project that I was working on was selected to be part of the Wharton Startup Challenge, which is a challenge that they do every year. And so I had to prep for it. And um, I had more of a kind of product technical background and Haley had more of a business strategy background. And so I remember she was the person that helped me prep for that pitch. And so we became friends over just how much like, you know, we, we basically just became friends because, like, we had started helping each other out on different projects that we were working on. And, um, and so we had a way to assess each other's passion and focus and ability to work through problem before even actually building a strong friendship. It was almost like we were first mentors to each other and then friends and then roommates and then when we were roommates, she had started working on shipping and... I remember the first weekend that I moved into the apartment, she was uh, telling me that she was going to start cooking some some products for her dog. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. I love it. Like, this is so exciting. And and then she pulls everything out and it was, you know, like a cricket protein. And she told, she, she basically, as she was kind of going through the process and her dog was there, she, and I dog my entire life. And so I love dogs. And so she told me, what inspired her and why she had started working at Alternative Protein for Pet Food. And I was so fascinated and I thought it was so cool. And then I think it was really over a series of conversation that we kind of started saying like, hey, this is what you can do. This is what I can do. Like, you know, we can help each other out and and build off of this this great idea. And, and really just what started as a just kind of a cricket company really became so much more. And it was, I, I think we feed off each other's vision. Um, and when we first started, I so believed, uh, I was so inspired by the vision that she had, which is also one of the biggest reasons why I then decided to join Chipin and do what we're doing today, right? I think that choosing the right co-founder is um, very much key. Oh, 100%. I love this story. This is so cool. It's so funny how we just genuinely don't know what's going to happen, who we're going to bump into, how things are going to pan out. And I often feel like it's when you're just open-minded, when you're like, cool, like I'm inspired by you. You, We seem to work well together, that things just start to mesh. So talk to us a little bit about then those early days of chipping and what you kind of did, you both did together to get the business off the ground. Yeah, we think chipping is still in the early days, just to clarify, but we have a lot. <laughs> a year and a half in. Yeah, we still have a lot of progress to do. But so, so we, yeah, so we really started in our apartment and we bootstrapped a lot of the initial effort and all of the initial work that we were doing. Um, I think something that was super important for us was to decide 
whether that was something that we just cared about or actually matter to people. Uh, and so we were just user-centered from day one. I think that came from a strong combination of the fact that my background was designed. So that's, you know, your kind of user-centered that's in the definition, right, of what design is. And Haley also, um, you know, she's she's more of a, I mean, her background is finance, but um, but still, like, so focused on, like, what are, what is the data telling us, right? And so kind of the combination of these two attitudes uh, that really made us go after, you know, reviews and feedbacks and, and preliminary customer feedback. And so we would make a bunch of snacks, we'd go to the dog park. Um, and we actually started selling it even when we didn't have a product. I mean, we had a product, which was the product, but it was not packaged, it was not anything, because we wanted to see whether or not it was something that people were willing to pay for, um, whether or not was something we could actually do. And so, so we kind of did two initiatives to really test this idea. One of it was that we, Haley went around and, you know, delivered bunch of snacks to several people that we didn't know. So we're like friends of friends. Um, and they had to film their dog eating the snack. And then we also asked for, this sounds really gross, but we would ask for feedback on the poop because that's, that's what we realized from preliminary customer interview that people are not willing to try a new product because they don't know what the dog is going to experience. And so there is almost this elephant in the room. And so we wanted to get over this elephant in the room. So we would say like, hey, send me a picture of how excited is your dog and tell me how you feel about, <laughs> about that. So, um, but that was very important. And that is something that even when I talk to other pet food founders today, I'd say like, do you know why your customers are not buying? Because people always know why customers buy, but you don't know why they're not buying, right? Like what's holding them back? So, and I think that applies to every single business, like not just be worried about why are they buying, but the group that you're not reaching, those people that you are reaching, but maybe are not responding well to your message, why are they not buying? And so we were very diligent about kind of doing that um, initial groundwork. And a lot of our effort was very much guerrilla marketing. So it was through the dog parks. We did every single possible dog park in Philly, every single possible dog park in LA. We were in LA that summer, DC, New York. We were at the dog park just talking to people. And then we would go back home and try out different recipes and continue to iterate. And um, again, you know, it's this kind of combination of just really, really listening to your customers, but also knowing the science and also knowing kind of what works and what doesn't and, and, and taking their insight into something that that becomes your product. Uh, and so assessing for an early stage version of your product, what are those criteria that will inform the changes that then you do over time? And so for us was things like, can you break fast enough? Is it, does it smell good? So we kind of assess and study several use cases and then measure our success based on those specific use cases that we realized matter to our potential customers. So, you know, it's a, it was pet food, but it's, you know, that is the logic that you would really take for any product. I mean, that is the logic that we would take at when I was at Starbucks. That is the logic that you would take um, really any product I ever worked on. You know, you would 
pay a lot of attention to what your different customer segment are saying and what is the specific customer need that you are addressing and addressing better than anyone else. So fascinating. I love it. I think it's so unique what you guys are doing. And I think that it's just so right though. So same business principles or just consumer, I guess, how your consumer deals with it. Principles that you can apply across different businesses, different products, etc. I want to talk a bit about, as we start to wrap up, I want us to talk a bit about um, the progression of Chippin. And, you know, you, you said you're still in the early days, but you've gained some amazing recognition for this product that you're developing. Talk to us a little bit about kind of where you guys are at now and what the future of Chippin looks like for you guys. Yeah. So, um, which I also don't think we mentioned like, from the start, but, you know, we started Chippin because we believe in the power of making daily sustainable food choices that are better for pets, planet, and the people, right? And so it's really this notion that sustainability, a sustainability mindset is first and foremost a community mindset where you are thinking intentionally about every, you're thinking intentionally about your daily choices, right? And pet food seems a seemingly small choice because it's not, you're not, you know, it's, it's just the pet food, right? At the same time, at the same time, it plays such a big role in the food system that for me, it's a no brainer to say, if me and my dog can change the world, right? Um, and, and can do it while having a good time, right? Because who doesn't love their dogs and who doesn't want their dog to be healthier? And if you can do that with, also getting the planet to be healthier and and really having a meaningful, tangible impact, why would you not, right? It seems like a no-brainer. And so I say that because anything that whenever we think about what's chipping today, which is four snacks, one bag of chipping saves 40 gallons of water, has more omega-3 than salmon, so it's better nutritionally, it's superior from a nutrition perspective and it's superior from an environmental perspective, when we think of what's chipping in the future, chipping in the future is exactly that, right? So it's the world more sustainable pet brands that enables people to make daily sustainable choices that are better for themselves and really everyone else. So from a business perspective, we started with just direct to consumer. And then we actually very early on got traction and got into a bunch of retailers. And so we very much care about small businesses and we very much care about you know, reaching our customers where they shop. And so we are continuing to grow our website, but we're also continuing to grow our brick and mortar presence because, you know, we, we like to support the stores and we like to support people, whatever they are getting their products. Amazing. It's so cool to see. And I'm so excited to see where this takes you guys. I mean, you know, already you've achieved so much in such a short period of time. It's going to be so cool to see where it goes. So look, Laura, I just want to take a moment as we start to wrap up to really acknowledge you, you know, for the amazing work that you've done and that you're doing over the years. You know, you've recently been recognised on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list of this year in 2020 for your amazing creation that is Chippin. And I guess above all, just showing us and especially us, you know, female entrepreneurs out there, all young females, that you know, if you have a dream, if you have big goals, it's okay to work hard to make them happen. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, not giving up 
And it's really about just just going after what we want. And for that, we really appreciate you. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. So, look, our final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? It depends on how you measure success. And for me and Haley was always about finding simple ways to make our lives and other people's life either easier or more fun or more exciting. I think for us, the value is that there is global warming and climate change is the most overwhelming and pressing problem that we are facing today as society. Um, I think if anything, the time that we are right now with the coronavirus happening makes us realize how vulnerable we are, right? Everybody is being affected. And I mean, that is very much of a picture of what could happen even with, with the environment, right? And so for us is, can you do something better? And can you do something that will just go beyond your personal gain and something will ultimately impact the life of millions of people? Um, and, and, and we believe that daily food choices have a huge impact and in, 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 in really just the life of the planet, which is ultimately our home, which is ultimately the place we want to protect. And so that is, I think, it's the value. It's, it's something that matters to me, but it's something that really, I think, is going to matter so much. And I mean, it's not easy, but there's nothing else I would want to do. I love it. I love it. Laura, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a blast. Thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you and Chippin? Guys, come see us. We are at chippinsnacks.com. And you can also find us at Chippin Time on Instagram at Chippin Time. I think we also started a TikTok at Chippin Time. Yeah, we have a new series of, 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 of things coming out. So be Tune in, tune in. Love it. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Laura. We've had a blast. Thank you so much, Michelle. And for everyone else listening. Yeah, bye, guys. Of course. Bye. And for everyone else, this thing will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at the Peers Project. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, Peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>